Matt Kane has served as the New South Wales Minister for Energy and Environment in the Berejiklian Ministry since April 2019. He is one Liberal National Party minister who is not afraid to speak truth to power. In his short tenure as Environment and Energy Minister in New South Wales, he has put forward bold proposals and indeed plans to turn New South Wales into a renewable energy superpower and reverse the koala's slide to extinction and in fact double its populations by 2050. I was very glad to have the opportunity to speak to Minister Keane and to ask him some searching questions about how he is going to go about actually achieving these grand ambitions. Minister Keane, thank you very much for joining Environmentalist Anything today. Sean, thank you for hosting me. No, most, most, what a pleasure. Uh, we've been, I must say, it's not the first time you've been on the show. I had uh, uh, extracts from the uh, Clean Energy Council Ministerial Forum on a couple of weeks ago. And well, Sean, I look much better on the radio, I promise you. <laughs> and your uh, interview with Giles Parkinson, we had, ran an edited version of that as well, which was all very exciting and uh, very positive. We really appreciate what you're uh, up to with renewable energy. But uh, we are also uh, excited, and we'll get, we'll get to renewable energy maybe later in the interview if we have time, but we'll, um, we're most excited today about your announcement of doubling the koala population in New South Wales, which is a much better outcome than letting them go extinct by 2050. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, nothing sums up our mismanagement of the environment more than the threat to our most loved and iconic animal, the koala. It's just terrible. And when people talk about zero by 2050, they're not just talking about emissions. They're talking about the projections that our koala population will be wiped out by 2050. Mm. That is completely unacceptable. Mm. None of us can stand by and let this happen, let alone an environment minister. So I realise that we've got a lot of work to do. Uh, There hasn't been a great track record when it comes to uh, protection of koalas and koala habitat. We need to do better. That's exactly what I intend to do. Fantastic. It's, it's exciting to hear you say that. And you know what? I, I believe you mean it. And uh, of course, uh, we've got a um, you know long history of hearing promises from uh, politicians, some of which turn out not to happen. But what we want to do, I think the environment wants, movement wants to do is to help you in any way we can. So I've got a few questions which may actually pose uh, some helpful hints. Uh, the, the, which, uh, not to want to tell you how to do your job, but um, we're, we're, the, the local councils uh, in in the findings of the, uh, the the inquiry into koala populations, uh, recommendations twenty four to twenty nine dealt with uh, issues to do with councils here in the on the northern rivers and on the north coast. Uh, we've had issues getting our SEP forty four plans of management uh, actually uh, uh, you know uh, adopted. Now the Tweed and Byron Council both passed one in 2015, and they're sitting somewhere, I think, in your department and uh, in the sea of paperwork that no doubt surrounds you. Um, uh, and they need, I think they just need your signature. Is there any chance that you could do that, you know, sign them off? Well, I wish it was just requiring my signature. It requires the planning minister's signature. If uh, they were coming across my desk, I'd be signing them off tomorrow. Uh-huh. But the reality is we've only had six koala plans of management implemented across New South Wales. Mm. Only six mm. of the 159 councils. I mean, that is shameful. We know that a lot of councils have koala habitat, and we've got a tool there to protect that habitat called SEP44. So what we need to do is make sure that councils are moving aggressively to put their 
their koala plans and managements in place and the state government gets around to signing it off. Yeah. I'll be certainly pushing that we are signing off on those koala plans and management. Once the, map, the, the work is done at the council level to map the land, yeah. uh, we need to give it the protections it deserves. Yeah. And mapping the land is, is another obstacle which I wanted to mention. I know here in Lismore and I think for lots of councils around the state, there are issues uh, actually mapping and identifying the core koala habitat. They don't necessarily have the expertise or the resources to be able to do that, whereas uh, your department should have uh, people, you know, National Parks and Wildlife Service once upon a time did offer those kinds of services for local councils. Is there any chance that your department could, uh, you know, stump up a bit more uh, resource for the local councils to facilitate that process? A lot of this work is done through the planning process. Mm -hmm. It's not really the domain of the National Parks and Wildlife or the Environment Department. But that said, we should be supporting where possible. Mm. We know that local councils are best placed to be able to understand the needs of their local communities and also be able to assess what is actually happening on the ground. I mean, no one wants maps that don't have, aren't grounded in reality. We need to ground truth the maps so that the community can have confidence that uh, those areas protected are koala habitat and uh, we get the balance right between those areas that don't contain uh, koala habitat that can continue to be farmed. Mm. So this is, we need people making these uh, assessments that are close to the ground, know the area. So it's no good us sitting here in Macquarie Street uh, dictating terms to local communities. That's why we've got local councils and I'd encourage them to get on with the work, map their areas, get the koala management plans uh, signed off so that we can that so we can have an important lever in the part process of keeping our koalas safe. Yeah. All right. Uh, the um, the other thing that the um, the inquiry highlights is uh, p- private native forestry. You're going to have to sign off on the new PNF code of practice uh, soon. And, uh, you know, there was the questions have been raised about whether you can implement meaningful and effective action for koalas uh, in those uh, those codes of practice before you sign off on them. Well, we know that 60% of all native forests uh, available for harvesting are on private land. Mm. I mean, that's a mm. huge uh, body of uh, potential koala habitat. Uh, look, there are uh, private native forestry uh, codes and, and rules. Uh, my job is to make sure that they're enforced and uh, that uh, when, when they are used, uh, they're done so in line with the law. Uh, the, the appropriate protections for our native species are upheld. So we'll be ensuring that the EPA is doing its job uh, to be a tough cop on the beat. Um, uh, you know, this is about ensuring that the law is upheld. And I don't think that a conservative government uh, can, can walk away from that very important thing that we hold dear, upholding no, the rule of law. You've, you've spoken of the rule of law a few times, and, and I'm, I'm glad to hear that, uh, you know, from you. It's obviously an essential component of a just and peaceful society. Um, but on the just to, to drill down a little bit on the PNF, on the Private Native Forestry Code of Practice, you, you do have an opportunity soon to sign off on that, don't you? Will you have input into the the content of those codes of practice? Well, absolutely. And we'll be making sure that it's in line with the uh, ecologically sustainable uh, uh, solutions that has been mandated at the federal level. Uh, So yes, we'll be playing a key role in uh, ensuring that we have uh, environmental protections uh, in the PNF code. Yeah. 
And so you've mentioned the EPA uh, and the, and you've talked about the feds and you recently came out uh, strongly say, stating that there should be a, a, a cop on the beat for the environment at a federal level. Now, of course, in New South Wales, we have uh, what's pretty much model uh, legislation for the EPA here, uh, which is great. But, uh, you know, it's only recently that the uh, in Wild Cattle Creek, they, uh, they took action to uh, stop work uh, for the first time uh, with these new uh, forestry laws. Uh, so they were just... Uh, you know what? What can be done to give the the EPA a bit, you know, some more teeth, a bit more backbone, and 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 can it? And can the EPA, uh, you know, perhaps a supplementary question, can the EPA uh, be be directed or or empowered to take more notice of community generated uh, breach reports, which I know are uh, you know the many experts in the field have been out there generating. Well, firstly, there's no point in having environmental protections if they're not going to be enforced. That's why we need a strong environmental cop on the beat to uphold the rule of law. And that's why, uh, following the Samuels uh, review of the EPBC Act, uh, and the central recommendation was to have an independent regulator at the national level, I went out and supported I think we should be having uh, a strong environmental cop on the beat to uphold the rule of law. And that's exactly what I'll continue to argue for. And this is not uh, this is not contrary uh, to uh, Liberal Party values. It is our values, and it's exactly why it was a Liberal government in New South Wales that introduced an independent environmental regulator in the EPA in the 90s. So um, I want to make sure that we have strong environmental protections, but I also want to make sure that they're enforced. Uh, that's why I've called for the federal government to follow the recommendations of Graham Samuel and implement a tough environmental independent watchdog on the beat. Uh, with regard to the other issues that you've raised, I mean, of course, there is a, a role for the community to play in uh, helping us uh, identify issues that, uh, that should be investigated by the EPA. Uh, we rely on the community to provide us with information which we can go and investigate and hold those people who want to destroy our environment or mm. break the law to, to account. That's exactly why we have an independent watchdog out there um, uh, keeping an eye on things. Uh, can they be can they be enhanced? Can their powers be enhanced? Absolutely. We're currently looking at a number of measures to make our watchdog even stronger. But let's not forget the EPA is an independent statutory authority. They don't uh, take direction from me. They don't report to me. Uh, what they do is uphold the rule of law without fear or favour. And my message to the head of the EPA in recent times is I want you to provide me frank, with frank and fearless advice and I want you to go about your duties upholding the rule of law without fear or favour. So uh, we want them to be a tough cop on the beat. We'll be making some statements very soon about how we'll beef that up even further because I think the community expects uh, that uh, if there are rules in place, that they're upheld. And that's why we want the EPA out there doing their job. Yep, it's only fair, isn't it? We're all expected to, you know, drive on the left-hand side of the road and obey the speed limits and, and you know, do all the other things that we, we have to do in especially in these COVID-safe times. We're all expected to behave in a, in a lawful manner. No one, ex no one complains about the police enforcing the law. Mm. So why should business complain about the EPA enforcing the law That's that right. they should be abiding by? Justice is for everyone. Well, I've got to say as well, uh, slightly tangentially to that, but uh, you know, the incentives for farmers have, uh, again, recommendations 39 and 40 from the inquiry and also the uh, New South Wales Farmers Association this week have come out saying that 
that farmers need some incentives to be able to, you know, effectively farm koalas. Uh, they are given incentives to farm everything else they do, and that's they ha- they they have you know they squeak by every year to making ends meet. So, what kind of incentives uh, do you think the the New South Wales government could uh, offer for farmers, who obviously are part of my uh, listeners uh, as a farming community? Well, our farming communities are so important for uh, not only uh, providing food and fibre to the people of New South Wales, but driving economic growth in this state. So, uh, you know, they're key stakeholders um, in the environment space. Uh, But we need to make sure that we get the balance right between protecting important uh, native species and threatened species, uh, flora and fauna, but also ensuring that we're able to continue to farm our beautiful agricultural land. So, I mean, that's exactly... um, Uh, why we work with farmers, we work with environment groups to get that balance right. Um, What we do know is that we've got the Biodiversity Conservation Trust, which is a trust that's been established uh, to uh, help do exactly what you said, support farmers in protecting native habitat on their lands. We will pay farmers to uh, preserve uh, native vegetation so that our koala populations uh, can be safe uh, and not come under constant threat from uh, development uh, or expansion of agricultural land. So we want to provide a viable economic alternative to land clearing for farmers, particularly in the regions. Yeah, I mean, the, 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 you know, uh, the Farmers Association, um, uh, Ms Petrie, says uh, that you get, uh, uh, what did she say, $30 uh, to a, a hectare to protect koalas. It does seem a bit paltry. Well, we'll look at all the levers we have available to us, but yeah. I've set an ambitious goal, uh, an ambitious goal that I hope that we'll be able to meet. We've got uh, the chief scientist and we'll assemble some of the best minds in the state uh, to help us develop a plan to make sure that we hit that goal by 2050. But uh, we need to stabilise the population, the existing populations we have right now. There's a number of factors uh, that we know we need to, to, to consider uh, if we're going to achieve that. Firstly, we need to tackle infectious disease like chlamydia, which poses a major threat to our koala populations. We also need to be tackling feral predators, Mm -hmm. which also are a key threatening process to our koalas. But the biggest issue we need to deal with is the loss and fragmentation of koala habitat. Mm. That's going to be a huge challenge because obviously there are many competing interests for that habitat, whether it be urban development, uh, timber industry, uh, farming. Uh, We need to make sure that we get the balance right, but we do so in a way that protects our koala populations and sees them thrive into the future. Yeah, absolutely. Look, it's great to hear you say that, Minister. I wish we had all day to talk, but we're going to have to wrap it up uh, soon. I did want to bring renewables back into the conversation before we do, just briefly, because, uh, you know, really admire uh, the uh, the work you're doing with Renewable Energy Zones. It's groundbreaking. It's leading the country, bringing New South Wales from the back of the pack to the front of the pack. Good to see. Uh, Just wanted to give you a heads up. There's a concern that we have in the environment movement, which is uh, that that burning forests in uh, in in power mills uh, is considered to be renewable. Now, now the, the science behind that is is completely shonky. Uh, the, the, you know, it is not renewable to burn forests for uh, for power. Uh, what can you do to to exclude uh, the uh, the burning of of our forests from the the accounting for renewable energy? Because it, it is really a, a fly in the ointment for the whole renewables industry if this is allowed to stand. Look. Um what I'm doing is focusing on modernising our electricity system. Mm. Right now, we're using old technology to generate our electricity, like the technology you've just talked about. But there are newer technologies available that are uh, cheaper, more reliable, 
And guess what? A lot cleaner for our environment. Yeah. And that's what I'm focused on. Yeah. Moving, uh, that's why we've announced recently the nation's first coordinated renewable energy zones, uh, where we'll build solar, wind, pumped hydro and batteries that will help us keep the lights on, drive prices down. And guess what, Sean? reduce our emissions in a way that will lead the world and set Australia up for success as we head towards a low-carbon global economy. I think that we can get some of the cheapest electricity anywhere in the world right here in New South Wales. That will give us a competitive advantage, particularly in those energy-intensive industries like heavy manufacturing and smeltering. And that, that means that uh, new industries will domicile here in New South Wales, creating jobs, creating opportunities, and underwriting our future prosperity. Well, good words to wrap up on, Minister. I think it's it's great. You've got the community behind you on this. We'll do whatever we can to support uh, your success with these promises. Um, I hope that we can uh, we can talk again sometime down the track with uh, with more good news. Sean, thank you so much, and thank you for your continued advocacy for our environment. That was New South Wales Environment and Energy Minister Matt Kane.